may be seated. If you have your Bibles this morning, and I trust that you do, if you can open with me to the Gospel of John chapter 9. The Gospel of John chapter 9, and welcome to week 10 of our miracle series where we are walking through the miracles of Jesus. After today, we have three uh, more weeks to go, but let me just say from the beginning, I, I have been so encouraged and so strengthened and this series has meant so much to me. Not only has my mind been blown by just the miraculous power of Christ, but at the same time, my heart has been comforted. And I pray the same for you. And for those of us who, who hold to the truthfulness of God, we also hold to the truthfulness of His Word. And if His Word is true, then we must hold by faith to all the miracles um, within it. Um, even when the lame walking or the blind seeing or the dead living runs against our modern sensibilities. Yet as we've seen from the very beginning, a miracle is what happens when the unexplainable runs into the undeniable. So when the unexplainable runs into the undeniable, we have a miracle. And this morning we um, want to come to the miracle of sight. Where Jesus gives sight to a blind man, and not just physical sight, but also spiritual sight. Could you imagine, or can you imagine, living your whole life with absolutely no vision? Your view of the world would be images that someone has patiently painted into your mind. And then imagine what it would be like to suddenly see. Max Lucado tells the following story. For 51 years, Bob Edens was blind. His world was a black hall of sounds and smells. He felt his way through five decades of darkness, and then he could see. A skilled surgeon performed a complicated operation, and for the first time, Bob Edens had sight. He found it overwhelming. Listen to what he says. I never would have dreamed that yellow is so yellow. I don't have the words. I'm amazed by yellow, but red is my favorite color. I just can't believe red. And then he goes on to say this, I can see the shape of the moon. And of course, the sun rises and sunsets. And then at night, I look and the stars in the sky and the flashing light. You could never know how wonderful it is to see. And he's right. Think about this. Those of us who have lived a lifetime with vision, we, we can't, oftentimes we, we can't really understand what it would be like to, to not see. Yet, think about it like this. Few, few are the people who don't suffer from some form of blindness. In fact, I believe it's safe to say in this room, every single person in this room, we all have blind spots. We have things that we just can't see. And some of those things, let me just be honest, they're not small things. They're really big things. And yet they're blind spots to us and we can't see them. And when somebody points them out, we maybe fight back. But the, the thing that scares me is that if we're not careful, I'm afraid. And I pray that this would never happen to us, that we would walk into a place of worship like this with our blind spots on with our golden calves um, tight to us and go through life and, and never lay those things down or never see what it is that we're missing. 
the truth is not only do we have blind spots, we're all born spiritually blind. We're born not being able to see. Think about the words of Pastor John Piper. He said, all human beings are spiritually blind, which means that left to ourselves, we will see the gospel, see Christ, see scripture, but not see it or see him for what he truly is or what it truly is, namely the most beautiful, valuable reality in the world. We can see, but there's something wrong with our spiritual capacities to discern the beauty and value of what we see so that we always wind up preferring other things over God. And that is the essence of spiritual blindness. We can see some things of God, but we always, in our spiritual blindness, will prefer other things over God. Think about it like this. A person can be all that worldly goodness calls them to be and still never see the author of life being moral or even religious you can be the most religious person and yet you still doesn't mean you'll see him we may see what others see in him we may we may hear what others tell us that he said but until we see for ourselves until our blindness is removed we may think we see him and yet still live in darkness christianity what we are here proclaiming this morning in its purest form is nothing more than seeing Jesus for who he is and responding rightly to him. You don't get your own personal Jesus. We, you don't get your own personal Jesus. We have to understand who he is and we have to receive him for who he is. The question is, have you really seen him? Have you really seen him and what difference has it made? Think biblically here for a moment about those who saw Jesus. The apostle Thomas sees the resurrected Jesus and he says, my Lord and my God. Mary Magdalene, after seeing the resurrected Jesus, says, I have seen the Lord. The apostle John wrote, we have seen his glory. The two Emmaus-bound Emmaus disciples asked, were not our hearts burning within us when he spoke to us as we saw him? And then as we're going to see this morning, a once blind man once answered a question by saying, I once was blind, but now I see. And then he said, Lord, I believe. Lord, I believe. For a period ever so brief, the doors to the throne room were open and God came near. Holiness and earthliness intertwined in Christ. How long has it been since you've seen him? Oh, that you would look to him and that you would look and look and look some more. I think of the words of what Charles Spurgeon once said, look your eyes away and looking at him. Just look your eyes away. Look at him and look some more. But let me give you a warning this morning. There's a warning that comes with seeing Jesus. Every time you see Jesus, you have a choice to make. Every time. Either you will receive him and receive what he says for who he is and what he is, or you will reject him. Every time. This morning, I will lay before you through the word of God, through the Holy Spirit, a picture of Christ. You will either receive that and respond to that rightly, or you will reject that. That's the warning for all of us. Every time we have an encounter with Jesus, we have a decision to make. 
And John 9 gives us an amazing picture of a man who was blind since birth, who encountered Jesus, whose physical eyes were open, and then whose spiritual eyes were open. And he confessed Jesus as Lord. And just an interesting note, it's kind of interesting, a little interesting nut. Excuse me, a nugget. Um, there are more miracles of giving sight um, in the Gospels than any other miracle. Five separate accounts of those who were blind <clears throat> now seeing. And I pray that we would just understand this today as we're, we're seeing this picture. Not just a man who receives spirit or excuse me, physical sight, but a man who is understanding for the first time who Jesus is. How long has it been since we've seen him? Since we responded rightly to him. I'm going to ask you to stand, and we've got a lot of reading to do, but we're going to stand in reverence of God's word this morning and begin at John chapter 9 and verse 1 and go from there and read this story together. When you get there, let me hear you say, verse 1, And as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with his saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and washed, and I wash and I see. Some of the Pharisees says, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, He is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and he had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he now sees, we do not know. Um, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, he is of age. Ask him. So for the second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. 
They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes? We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that, he had, that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I came into the world, or to this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you. We come before this, your word. And God, we need you, Holy Spirit, to open our eyes to see truth. Open our eyes to see you. Help us this moment to behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus. Oh Jesus, we pray that you would be exalted and lifted up in this time. That we can see you. We can respond to you rightly. Open our eyes that we may see. As we sang earlier, Spirit, illumine us. Help us to see. Help us to hear. Help us to respond. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. So again, just, just setting the stage here. Jesus is passing by having just escaped an attempted stoning. If you can read the very end of John 8, Jesus had, um, they wanted to stone Jesus because he confessed that he was the I am. So he's fleeing from just um, escaped, attempted stoning, and he crosses path with a blind man. And here's the reality. When we recognize that we are blind, we can then recognize how he sees us, how he knows us, how he works for us, us who have anointed weaknesses, us with a Savior who is never too busy for us, us who are called to watch, us who are the sent ones, us who have a Savior who seeks us out. Our Savior seeks us out. And just think about the story of this blind man. Just think about the story through his eyes. I know that sounds weird to say, but think about the story through his eyes. Imagine him speaking. Imagine this once blind man saying, I was becoming 
frustrated of saying it. Everyone was asking, but no one was listening. I answered them again and again and again. No one ever seemed to hear my voice. I made my way through this life silently, feeling my way around. Every day before dawn, I was ready, um, up and ready to go to my post at the temple, a place where I knew people would see me. I knew they would hear the words I rehearsed day after day after day. I could feel it all. And I knew that they could hear me because I heard the words they said of me or to me. Be quiet, beggar. Go somewhere else. Or I wonder what sins his parents committed to get a child like this. Or what kind of sinner must he be to end up like this? I heard those words every single day. While everyone saw me and everyone heard me, no one saw me and no one heard me. Just imagine this once blind man saying, I didn't choose this life. I was born this way and try as I may, I could never change it. I couldn't work, so I had to beg. Up until today, all I knew was that I was born like this. Until today, when what was or what is, excuse me, became what was. Something in my life happened. Something unexpected. Something miraculous. What happened? Tell us again. And I tell them again, but instead of listening, they argue about the details. Well, he put something on my eyes. He sent me to wash. I keep trying to tell them, but they just shout over me. How can this man be from God? He is a Sinner, who does he think he is? Does he know it is the Sabbath? Although they hated my words concerning him, they could not deny that my once clouded and gray eyes were now vibrant and alive. I almost was almost distracted from talking because of seeing. I could see them. And then saying, I don't know who this man is. I don't know how he did it. I haven't even seen him myself. I don't know who he claims to be or what else he is capable of doing. I don't know how I came to be blind and I don't know how he came into my presence. But look at me. I'm glad he did. All I know is that once I was blind and now, now I see. What a story. What a declaration. Don't gloss over this just because you know it. Many didn't see this man. Most refused to acknowledge this man, but Jesus couldn't pass him by. Jesus couldn't just walk on by. He had to engage this man. So what I want to do this morning is I want us to turn our attention to three truths related to our own spiritual eyes being opened. We're going to see what God did in this once blind man and see what must be done in our lives. And pray that God has done it or he will do it today. The first truth is this. Our eyes must be opened to the works of God. Our eyes must be open to the works of God. One of the most interesting things about this passage is how it begins. They pass by, Jesus and his disciples pass by. They see a man who is blind from birth. His disciples ask a question. Rabbi, who sinned 
this man or his parents for him to turn out this way. And then Jesus answered, it was not this man who sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. The disciples believed, just like the pagan world around them, that a person's circumstances were a window to their soul. Meaning that if a person um, was diseased in body, then that meant they were diseased in soul. If a person was sick on the outside, it was because they were sick on the inside. So the disciples begin with that question, whose sin caused this? Because ultimately, or what we believe is someone's sin caused this. But here's the thing. Please don't miss this. The disciples did not look at this man as an object of mercy. They didn't look at this man as someone who could receive mercy. They looked at him as a subject for a theological discussion. And what I mean by that is this. It's much it's so much easier to, dis to discuss an abstract subject like sin than it is to minister to a concrete need in the life of a person. It's so much easier just to deal with the abstract of sin than to get involved in people's lives. And in that moment, all the disciples wanted to do was just sit around and have a theological discussion. Who sinned? And let me just say this. It's true that someone sinned. But that someone wasn't this man and that someone wasn't his parents. That someone, get this, was Adam. That's who sinned. Because in a broad sense, all sickness, all disability, all limitations that come into our physical bodies are a result of sin. That's the broad sense. Because of the sin of Adam, because he disobeyed God in the garden, sin came into life and sin spread to all humanity. Hear this. Sin spread to this once blind man, sin spread to his parents, and sin spread to us. And notice what Jesus doesn't say. Jesus doesn't say that suffering isn't just some random event that has nothing to do with sin. That's not what Jesus says. I mean, think about this. It was sin that necessitated, or was necessary for Jesus to even come. The reason Jesus came to this earth is because we sinned, because sin entered this world. And as we sang earlier, from the very beginning of time, Jesus said, I'll die for them. From the very beginning of time, he was slain, the lamb that was slain. But then think about this. According to the words of Jesus here, Jesus is saying, this man is like this so that the works of God might be displayed in him. So Jesus is saying, before time began, God knew, God um, decreed, God declared that this man would be born blind. And before time began, God purposed to glorify himself and to reveal his son through this man. This beggar can't see Christ. In fact, he's never seen anything. He's never seen anything. He doesn't know anything about Jesus coming by. But Jesus sees him. He can't see Jesus, but Jesus sees him. This blind man is a picture of an unrepentant sinner who has no capacity to see Jesus in themselves. He is deeply engulfed in blindness and cannot see the Savior. But don't miss this. The Savior sees him, and the Savior has a work to do in him. Now, here's what we do. Anytime suffering begins to happen, we automatically think this way. Well, what happened to produce this suffering? 
And here's what we know in this story. The cause of this man's suffering is unclear, but the purpose of this man's suffering is very clear. So that God might be glorified through his spiritual sight. So let me say it again. The the cause of this man's suffering was unclear, but the purpose was very clear. For God to be glorified in his spiritual sight. And let me say this. God's purpose in our suffering is more important than understanding the cause of our suffering. God's purpose in our suffering is more important than us understanding the cause of our suffering. We might never fully understand the purposes of God in this life. We might never fully understand why God allowed what he allowed, why he's doing what he's doing, but we must never doubt that he has a purpose. We might never understand his purpose. We might never understand fully his purpose, but he has a purpose. He has a purpose in what is going on in your life and my life. The Bible says if we love him, he's working it together for our good and for his glory. So this, his work here might not be clear, but his purpose is. And then look at verses 6 and 7. Don't, don't miss this because this is kind of the gross moment of this story. Jesus spits on the ground and begins to make clay and puts it on the guy's eyes. I read this story and I immediately think of not only my mother, but other mothers. When we would have, as a kid, have things on our face, food on our face, and what would mom do? And you're like, you're squirming and mom's saying, stop squirming. And you're like, but this is gross. So parents, stop doing that. It's just gross. Stop doing it. Go buy some wipes. Do it that way. But just think about Jesus spitting on the ground and making clay. And the question becomes, why in the world would Jesus use this method? And I found some interesting suggestions. One commentator said that Jesus used this method to make use of the healing quality of saliva. As if Jesus needed a little help. Another said to make this man more blind. Okay, the man was 100% blind. How do you make a 100% blind man more blind? Another says to symbolize that this man is made from dirt. Okay, I don't see that one. And yet another said to give the eyes time to heal. This man's eyes didn't need time to heal. All they needed is a word from Jesus. So how, how silly. Please let me hear me say this. We become silly and, dare I say, even stupid when we begin to try to explain away the supernatural. Stop trying to explain away the supernatural. Stop trying to say, well, it just doesn't make scientific sense because he's God. Because he's God. Let him be God. But the best answer I found as to why Jesus spit on the ground and made clay is this. He did it in order to create conflict. Because what he did, he did on the Sabbath. And he did it in order to cause a division. Now, we're not going to go into the Sabbath thing because next week, that's our miracle. Our miracle is going to be Jesus as the Lord of the Sabbath. So I'm not going to get ahead of myself in that. But Jesus did this to create conflict, to create division. Jesus even said, I did not come to bring peace, but to bring a sword, to bring division. And then Jesus looks at this man after putting this mud on his eyes and sends him to Siloam to wash. And in the Gospel of John, John interprets the meaning of Siloam as sent for his reader. So Jesus sent this man, he obeyed, and he came back seeing. 
One scholar even believed that the interpretation of the name that the pool sent connects the pool not with the man, but connects the pool with Jesus. That it was when the man met him who had been sent by the Father and was sent himself that he was healed. So this man born blind had met the light of the world and now he sees. What a miracle. Our eyes must be open to the works of God. And what is the works of God? God does everything that he does for his own glory. For his own glory. Everything that God does is for the glory of God. And I always say this, but let me say it one more time. In case that rubs you the wrong way, who else should God live? For, for, for whose glory should God live? Should he live for our glory? Or should he live for his? He knows who he is. Everything God does is for his glory. So our eyes must be open to the works of God. Secondly, our eyes must be open to the wickedness of man. So not only to the works of God, our eyes should be open to the wickedness of man. And here's where we see man's wickedness. What should have been an occasion of celebration, what should have been an occasion where a revival breaks out, instead becomes an occasion of a grand investigation. A tragic and an evil interrogation ensues. This once blind man's neighbors begin to question, is this really the guy? Well, this can't be the guy. And all the while he's saying, but it's me. Joe is me. Jordan is me. Dave is me. It's, it's me. I know your names. They're like, no, nah, it can't be. I mean, just think about this. They're, they're sitting here, and then they get the Pharisees involved who question him and refuse to believe anything he says. So what do they do? They then get his parents involved. Because that's what you do if you want to get to the bottom of things. Let's get the parents in, involved. And the parents come, and yet... The parents are cautious and they're hesitant. They tell some of what they know, but they won't tell all of what they know. Why? The sad, unfortunate answer is found in verse 22. Look at what it says. Verse 22 says, His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Just think about this. Fear of the religious leaders and fear of excommunication. As a result, they turned their sons over to the Pharisees. And as we've seen through this series, we've seen it over and over and over again. Fear is a paralyzing foe. Fear is an intimidating enemy. Fear is a great thief. And think about it in, this, in, in terms of these parents. In this moment, fear Rob these parents of the joy of celebrating the miracle that had taken place in the life of their son. Because of their fear, they weren't even celebrating with their son. They were saying to the Pharisees, you can have him. He's a man. He can answer for himself. We're good. That's all they cared about in that moment. And if we're not careful, fear can rob us of those moments. And fear can rob others of the gift of salvation and Jesus. So now the Pharisees, in trying to bring accusations against Jesus, they come back to this once blind man and they said to him, we know he's a sinner, therefore give glory to God. And any time in scripture that we read that phrase, give glory to God, is an idiom for saying repent. Repent. So basically they're saying, hey, repent of what you're saying and say that this man is a sinner. So think about this. 
The Pharisees are calling on this man to give glory to God by saying, yes, Jesus is a sinner. You know what? That's not glorious. That's blasphemous. That's blasphemous to say that Jesus is a sinner. So this guy's like, no, not going to say that. It's been said that this chapter begins and ends with blindness. It begins with a man who understood his blindness and wanted help. It ends with religious leaders who didn't understand their blindness, who would never admit that they were blind. But think about this. Sin, as we know it, is amazingly deceptive. Did you know that sin deceives 10 out of 10 people? Sin deceives 10 out of 10 people. Sin will keep us lost or sin will make us run back to that which we were saved from. It's what sin does. Sin is deceptive and it will deceive all of us. Even those in this room that know Jesus, if we're not careful, sin will deceive us as well. I love the words of Paul David Tripp who says, Spiritual blindness isn't like physical blindness. When you're physically blind, you know you're blind. So you compensate for this significant physical deficit. But spiritually blind people are not only blind, they are also blind to their own blindness. They think they see well, so spiritually blind person walks around with a delusion that no one has a more accurate view of himself than he does. Listen, sin deceives us. Sin deceives the unrepentant sinner. And in our in our sinful and wicked state, we're lost, we're dead, we're blind, we know no trust, we can't see the Savior, we can't long for anything beyond this world, and according to Ephesians 2, we have no hope, for we are without God in this world. And in contrast to that, then listen to the words of this once blind man who said to the Pharisees, I don't know whether he's a sinner. I'm going to leave that up to you. All I know is that yesterday I couldn't see. This morning I couldn't see. And look at me now. It's what he's saying. I once was blind and now I see. And then look at verse 34. It says this. And they cast him out. Brothers and sisters in Christ, hear this. Better to be cast out from this world than to be cast out from the presence of God. Better to be cast out from this world than to be cast out from the presence of God. They cast him out. They didn't want anything to do with his message. Therein is their wickedness. Our eyes must be open to the works of God. Our eyes must be open to the wickedness of sin and then lastly our eyes must be opened to the wonder of salvation our eyes must be opened to the wonder of salvation this is what we see this story isn't just a physical story it's a spiritual story and if you are in this room today and you are a child of God let me tell you why you're a child of God you're not a child of God because one day you decided to go looking for God no, you're a child of God because he came looking for you. Amen. The initiative was not yours. The initiative was his. He loved you first. He loved you first. John Chrysostom said it beautifully of this story. He said, the Jews cast this man out of the temple, and yet the Lord of the temple found him. 
They cast him out of the temple, and yet the Lord of the temple found him. And just listen to how this story ends. Just listen. Jesus heard he'd been cast out. Jesus goes and finds him. And Jesus says to him, this man seeing Jesus for the first time, but without a doubt having to recognize his voice, Jesus says, do you believe in the Son of Man? And this once blind man answers, who is he, sir? I believe. Who is he? And Jesus says, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. You notice the difference? The Pharisees kicked this man out, and yet Jesus sought him out. Jesus went looking for him, finding him. Jesus places before him the question of the ages. It's the same question Jesus asked his own disciples in, in Matthew 16. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say I am? Jesus asked him, do you believe in the Son of Man? Jesus is saying, do you believe that God has sent a Savior and will you put your faith and trust in him? And this man's response reveals that God is doing something in his heart. God's not just doing something with his eyes. God is doing something in his heart. And he says, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped Jesus. This is the only time in the whole book of, of John that Jesus receives worship. He worships Jesus and Jesus lets him. And follow with me. This is how salvation works. Grace confronts a blind, helpless, hopeless, begging sinner who knows his condition. In order for us to be saved, we have to be able to understand and confess that we were lost. Understand our condition. We can't see God. We can't see Christ. But grace comes to that person and responds to him and asks only for a response of faith. And that grace, that sovereign grace, allows and prompts that response. And then this man finds his way to the cleansing waters, which, understand this, wasn't Salome. The cleansing waters is Jesus for he is the living water. If we drink of him, we will never thirst. And the last thing we see or hear from this man is a declaration of lordship, and he's worshiping Jesus. And let me say this again. That's the point of the story. The point of the story. Jesus does the works of God. Jesus is the glory of God. Jesus is to be worshiped as God. Just think about how this story unfolds. The very first time this man is asked about Jesus, he says, the man. He just calls him a man. A little later on in verse 17, when the Pharisee said, who is he? He says, it's got to be a prophet, right? It's got to at least be a prophet to be able to do what he did. Later in verse 33, he says, he's got to be from God. Nobody can do that unless they're coming from God, right? And then finally in verse 38, he says, my Lord. My Lord. Listen, if, if you aren't ready to bow your knee to Jesus as your Savior and Lord, you aren't ready for his salvation. We have to come to him as our Savior, but also we must come to him as our Lord. This is why Jesus came into this world. He is seeking worshipers, and he will gladly receive worship from you. And he will gladly receive it from me.
In fact, he is worthy of your worship, and he is worthy of mine. He's worthy of our lives. Jesus' ministry, his purpose, was never, never just to show us how to live a good life. Don't let that be the goal of your Christian life, just to be a good person or to live a good life. Jesus' Jesus' purpose here is to show us how grace breaks into a person's life and saves that person from a life of brokenness and from a life of sin that we could never save ourselves from. That's the point. Have you seen Jesus for who he is? Have you ever seen yourself for who you are apart from him? Have you ever seen yourself in your sin deserving of his wrath, deserving of the punishment because you have sinned against a holy God? Have you ever seen yourself apart from him without hope? Have you ever cried out to him for only what he can give to you, which is salvation? Or the question becomes this, have your spiritual eyes been opened? Do you share the testimony of this once blind man? I'm going to put the, the verse on the screen one more time. And I ask this question to you. Can you say this? This morning, can you say one thing I do know? That though I was blind, and now I see. Amen. Oh, I pray that you can. I pray that you can, or I pray that you will. If you are in this room and you have never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, I believe today that the Holy Spirit is trying to open your eyes. Amen. You are here because he's trying to open your eyes. Allow him to take you to where he would have you to be so that you would call on the name of the Lord and be saved. But let me also address the child of God in this room. Just because we have been saved and our spiritual eyes have been opened doesn't mean that we aren't right now in a place of blindness. It doesn't mean that right now sin hasn't deceived us. In just a few minutes, we're going to come to this Lord's table. But before we do so, the Bible warns us, do not do so haphazardly. Don't come to this table as if it means nothing. In fact, Scripture would command us to ask God to search our hearts and know us. So in just a second, we're going to call the musicians forward and we're going to have a time of consecration, a time to prepare us for this or a time for you to respond to whatever the Lord is telling you. But that's what I would say in this moment. Ask God in this moment to search you, to know you. And to open your eyes to any blind spots. Or to open your eyes to anything that sin has blinded you to. I'm going to ask you to stand and let's pray together. Father, we rejoice in you today. We rejoice in you because you are the God who takes that which is altogether spiritually blind, God, and you open our eyes. Jesus, you open our eyes. Holy Spirit, you open our eyes that we can see. We pray right now for any in this room who do not know you, that right now through your Holy Spirit that you would work in their lives, that you would convict them of their sin, that you would open their eyes to see the beauty and the glory of Jesus, the glory of God in the face of Christ. That they would understand their own sinfulness. They would understand that they have missed the mark and fallen short of your glory, they would call upon your name, Jesus, and be saved. They would call upon the name of the Lord. Lord, I pray for brothers and sisters in this room as well, God, that even though we know you, we have to also confess, God, that it is possible 
maybe even likely, that there is a blind area in our lives. There is blind spots that sin has caused. And maybe we're comfortable with those blind spots. Maybe they've been there forever, yet, God, we need you to show us those blind spots, and we need you, by your supernatural power, to remove those spots from us. Open our eyes, God. Open our eyes. Finish this time. In Jesus' name, amen.